let my people go. Hey guys, it's Jordan. Welcome to Faithful Doubt. Today, we're talking about Moses. Welcome back, guys. Hey, I've been gone for a while, and there's a good reason why, and it's right on my shirt. Uh, my wife and I just welcomed our first child into this world on May 7th. Her name is Zara, and uh, so I have been adjusting to the dad life, and unfortunately, that meant uh, content was not on the top of my priority list, but I have missed everyone, missed talking with all of you. Uh, and I can't wait to uh, share these next four episodes with you guys that we're filming. And uh, today we are filming the first part of a two-part series on the story of Moses. And we are continuing in our uh, stories of the Bible. And we started with Adam and Eve in the creation story. And the last uh, story we talked about was Jacob and his sons. Uh, and we ended with mentioning his second to youngest son, uh, or second youngest son, Joseph. And Joseph's descendants eventually become the nation of Israel, and uh, Israel is then enslaved by the empire or the kingdom of Egypt. But before I go any further, I just want to give a reminder to uh, check out all of our platforms. Uh, we're on uh, social media as well, so Facebook, TikTok uh, and uh, YouTube are all just faithful doubt. Instagram is faithful underscore doubt. Uh, just go to any one of those. Please like, follow, or subscribe there, and we'd love to see you there. Um, before we uh, get into the Moses story, I want to give a disclaimer here. I cannot do the story of Moses justice in even two episodes. Uh, that's about 40 minutes of me talking, which is maybe more than anyone wants to hear, but... Um, 40 minutes is not enough time to cover the entire story of Moses. So I really encourage you to read it on your own, do some research on your own. Today, I'm going to try to hit the highlights of the first part of the story of Moses, and uh, then I will uh, connect it to Jesus Christ and the gospel at the end. So I'm sure all of us have heard the story of Moses, right? Uh, for those of us who grew up in the 90s and the 2000s, The Prince of Egypt was one of the greatest movies ever produced by DreamWorks. Um, the music alone, it's such a millennial thing to say, but the music alone is the greatest part of that movie. Uh, perhaps you were also like me, where my family, we watched uh, The Ten Commandments growing up with Charlton Heston as Moses. That's an older movie. Um, love that movie. Uh, the newest uh, version, rendition of the story of Moses was Gods and Kings with Christian Bale and uh, was not a good movie. Uh, I'll give my humble opinion and review of that movie right now. Was not uh, faithful to the, the scripture, to the story whatsoever. Very Hollywood-esque uh, type movie. So uh, Moses, the story of Moses, very popular, very uh, well-known. Um, but do we deeply know the story of Moses is really the question. I'm sure you've heard of the 10 plagues, uh, that, that God sends upon Egypt. I'm sure we've all heard, uh, where Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. I'm sure we all know about the parting of the Red Sea. 
probably the most famous part of the story. Or, you know, the Ten Commandments, Moses receiving the Ten Commandments on on the mount and coming down and seeing the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. And so he destroys the golden calf by throwing the tablets at it. These are all huge parts of the story, but we we need to understand it within the lens and the scope of the gospel. And so I'm going to go through that today, but I'm going to start with the birth of Moses. So after Israel's in slavery, after Joseph is dead and his descendants have grown to be many, many in number. It says that in the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh was afraid of the growing numbers of Israelites. And so he puts them in extreme captivity and slavery, and they still continue to spread and multiply. Uh, the more, the harsher Pharaoh is on the Israelites, the more they multiply. And we have a, a, a kind of a good example of, of that today with the persecution of the church. Wherever the church is persecuted uh, the harshest in the, in the world, it, it tends to grow uh, almost every time uh, it grows exponentially. So countries like China, uh, countries in South America or North Africa, uh, the Middle East, where Christian, Christianity and Christians are persecuted the harshest in the world, uh, it, Christianity is growing faster than any other place in the world. Likewise, uh, and, and then on the flip side of that, it, Christianity is dying quickly in places where it's not really persecuted, such as here in the West uh, or Europe. So kind of an interesting parallel there in the story of Moses. But uh, Pharaoh becomes so afraid of the growing numbers of Israelites that he actually sends an order to kill all the male, cho- uh, male children born of Israelite descent. And so this is where you might see uh, the Egyptian soldiers taking a an infant and throwing uh, the child into the Nile River with all the alligators. Um, and that's obviously a horrible depiction and image and scene. And it, especially as a new father, it's hard to imagine how I might react if, if that were the case in the real, uh, in our current situation. So Pharaoh has all the male children killed by, by the Egyptian soldiers, but a Hebrew woman bore a child, and this child would become Moses. And so for three months, she hides him. And uh, after that, she can't hide him any longer. We're not given any more details on that, uh, why she couldn't. So she creates a, a, a basket out of wicker and puts pitch and tar on it and places her baby in the basket. And this parallels with the story of Noah, right? She is putting Moses in an ark and sending it, and she is trusting that the Lord will take care of of the baby, and his will will be done. And so just like Noah, uh, Moses, his mom, has great faith in in God and what his plan will be for her son. So Moses floats down the Nile. Uh, It's a miracle that he's not killed. Uh, I think if anyone put a baby in a basket and floated down a river, there's so many ways the baby could die. Moses does not die. He ends up at the palace of the Pharaoh and his family. And so who finds Moses? None other but the, than the daughter of Pharaoh. And she has pity on the child. And so she actually brings the child to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, raise him as your own, but go find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby. And so you can already see God kind of working in this story. Pharaoh has just killed all the male 
children uh, of Israelite descent, but this one, he wants his own daughter to raise up. And so she actually finds the mother of Moses and allows her to nurse Moses for a time. And then we just read that Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house as a member of his house for uh, about 40 years. And so he would have had the education of an Egyptian prince. He would have had all the wealth of an Egyptian prince. He would have had all the benefits that come with being an Egyptian prince in the most powerful empire on earth at the time. And it's, he does that for a long time until he sees an Egyptian slaver or soldier beating a Hebrew per, uh, man. And Moses in that moment is angry and cannot stand to watch what he's, he's witnessing. So he actually takes action and kills the Egyptian soldier that was beating the Hebrew. Um, he hides the body, and he believes that no one has seen him do this but until a few days later, some Hebrews uh, are afraid of Moses, and they say, are you going to uh, kill us and hide us as you did with the Egyptian? It's at this moment that Moses realizes he has been found out as a murderer, and he must flee. And so he, he runs into the desert, into the wilderness. And when Pharaoh hears of Moses killing a soldier, he uh, sends out an edict to find Moses and kill him. And so this, this would be kind of, as we're reading this story, this is pretty difficult because this is the guy. Pharaoh welcomed and invited Moses into his house for 40 years. And Moses kills an Egyptian, and that's it for, for Pharaoh. Um, there is no mercy, there is no grace or forgiveness. It is, you are going to die at this point. So Moses flees into the desert, and he uh, uh, lives there for 40 years. 40 years in the desert, and that parallels with what? What happens after the Israelites get out of slavery? They wander the desert for 40 years. And so Moses is in the desert for 40 years. He finds a wife um, and a family, and... God hears the cries of his people in Egypt, in slavery. And so he has not forgotten his covenant with Abraham, uh, and he decides to engage, not, not engage, encounter Moses. And so this is where we get the story of the burning bush. Moses is in the desert shepherding a flock of his father-in-law, and he sees a bush on fire. And there's been a lot of attempts uh, scientifically to prove uh, that any that there's a certain bush in the desert. Uh, I forget what kind of bush it is. I should know. Um, but there's a certain bush in the desert of that region of the world that can actually just catch on fire uh, pretty easily. And there's been all these attempts to disprove that Moses would have seen the presence of God or felt the presence of God in a burning bush. And that's okay, whatever. You know, God can choose to to make himself known in whatever ways he wants. And usually God makes himself known in the most simplest of ways, uh, through water, through fire. Um, he created us out of the dust of the ground. God uses common things to encounter us and, and engage with us. So Moses sees this bush on fire and hears a voice out of it. And the voice tells Moses, take your, your shoes off for you are standing on holy ground. And Moses, what we see here is Moses responds in uh, 
reacts in faith. He, he obeys in obedience. So he's in perfect obedience to everything God's saying, and he, he actually inquires who God is. He says, who are you? And, he's, and God says, I am who I am. And this is where we get the Hebrew word, Yahweh. And it's a personal title for God. It, he is saying, this is me, and I am, I am who I have always been, which is the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he says, you are going to be my prophet. You are going to bring my people out of slavery, out of the bondage that they're in. And, and Moses' initial response to God is, well, um, what, if, uh, what if Pharaoh and, and, and the Egyptians don't listen to me? You know, or what if the Israelites don't listen to me? And God says, I, I speak, or you're going to speak for me. I give you this authority. And then Moses starts to question his ability to do this. You know, well, what if I'm slow in tongue is what he says. I'm slow in speech. And there's two different ways to look at that. Either Moses had a stutter, um, or after being 40 years in the desert, he has forgotten how to speak Egyptian or Hebrew. And so he's worried about remembering how to speak both those languages. And so because he starts to question his ability, God still says, you know what? Who, get, who created the mouths of man? Who, created, who allows the deaf and mute to exist? It's God. So his point is, Moses, I am God. You, you, know, you don't have to worry about your ability to speak. I will take care of that. I have created you, to, and I'm calling you to this, this purpose. But then Moses does something that we would all do, but none of us should do, and he reveals his heart, which is uh, he's not willing. And this is kind of how we all are. It's not really our abilities that we question. We don't need evidence that God is real. We always are unwilling to do what God is calling us to do. And so Moses is totally unwilling to do what God wants him to do, and this is where God gets angry and rebukes him and says, you know what? I'm going to send Aaron, your brother, to speak for you, and you will be like God to him. And so it sounds like God is giving Moses a helper, um, but really we find out later on that Aaron is not much of a helper. He's more of a hindrance. Um, he actually tries to uh, overthrow Moses, and um, Aaron, while he is his brother, isn't the greatest help to Moses. And so at, at first Moses questions whether God is, you know, if this is real, then he questions his ability, and then he reveals his unwillingness to do what God has called him to do. And so in our own lives, we kind of do the same thing. We question if God's real. We need all this intellectual evidence to know who he is. Well, if he, if he reveals himself, um, you know, we still start to question, well, uh, how can I really believe in, in this God? And then, and then it's revealed through these first two steps that the real problem with all of us is not what's in our head, it's in our heart. We're, we're totally unwilling to uh, accept and believe in God and put our, place our trust and faith in Him and obey Him, and that's sin. We are given a free will. We are able to uh, obey God or not, and if we choose disobedience, that is sin. If we choose obedience, that is, that is loving God. So we are no different than Moses. Moses is no different than all of us 2000 year or 3000 years later. So this story is already telling us a lot about humanity. Moses is not this special person. 
Moses isn't even a great person. Moses is a poor speaker, and God says, I'm going to have you speak for me. Well, so who is this person that, that God has chosen? Why has he chosen Moses to do this? And it's, and it's despite his weaknesses and his flaws that God chooses him for this great purpose. And so in our own lives, we all have flaws, we all have weaknesses, and we tend to use those as excuses to not do what God has called us to do. And what we need to realize is God often uses all of us despite our weaknesses, our greatest flaws, and sometimes those become our greatest strengths in, king, in, in the kingdom. And uh, that's what the kingdom of heaven does. Is it flips everything on its head. The last shall be first, the first shall be last. And we see that here with Moses. So Moses uh, immediately uh, obeys the Lord after this rebuke, and God tells him what he's going to do. He's going to use his staff, that, uh, and, and he'll cast it down, and it'll become like a snake. Um, and he gives him the first two or three signs and wonders he's going to perform in front of Pharaoh. And we see Moses takes his family back into Egypt, and God, can, God kind of consoles Moses and says, Anyone that wanted you dead is now, or anyone that wanted to kill you is now dead. Don't do not fear. As Moses returns to Egypt, he tells the Israelite elders of the plan of God's redemption and uh, what they're going to do. And then he goes to Moses, and this is the you know this is the climax of the story, if you will. Probably is the ten plagues. Um, or perhaps it's the parting of the Red Sea. But the ten plagues are a really interesting part of the story to read. Moses gives ten plagues, and it starts with turning the Nile into blood. And then we have frogs um, just overflowing the land with frogs. And then we have uh, flies and lice. And then we have boils, pestilence of the animals locusts, excuse me, hail, uh, then locusts, then we have darkness, and finally we end with the death of all the firstborns in Egypt. And so with each plague, what do we realize with each plague? In this story, if you're reading along, every time Pharaoh hardens his heart towards, towards God. And so what, what, you know, if you're a non-Christian and you're reading this story, you're probably wondering, why, why does God need to send these plagues to Pharaoh? What's the point of all this? And God said to Moses that he's going to deliver Israel by his mighty works, by his mighty hand, to the point when he's done, uh, the Pharaoh will, Pharaoh will be request, will be driving the Israelites out of slavery. So it's not just that Pharaoh is going to give in to the Lord and, and release the people out of slavery, he's actually going to force them out. And God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And this is a controver controversial verse for a lot of people. Is God taking free will and free choice away from Pharaoh by hardening his heart? If you do a little study on uh, the word, the Hebrew word for that, it doesn't mean that God is going to actually force Pharaoh to do anything. It means he's going to give him over to Pharaoh's own will. 
And, and we see this in uh, Romans 1. Paul says the worst punishment God can give any of us is to give us, just deliver us over to ourselves, to our own sin. And you, you see this in the world today. Uh, people who reject God, God says, okay, if you don't want me, if you don't want me in your life, fine. I won't be in your life. I will give you over to your own desires your own, and your own uh, will. And what results out of that is, is never good because anything that is good comes from God. And when we reject God, we are rejecting goodness. And so this is what people would call hell, all right? Hell is not some, you know, lake of fire that we're going to burn in for eternity. It's, it's eternal separation from the Father and his light and his goodness and his love. And he's going to give us over to our sin if that's what, or excuse me, he's going to give us over to our desires if that's what we really want. And so Pharaoh is going to be given exactly what he wants, which is nothing to do with the God of the Israelites and the Hebrews. So after each plague, Pharaoh, he hardens his heart, but eventually he starts, after each plague, he starts saying, all right. You, he concedes a little bit. He says, you can take your people into the wilderness to worship, the God, worship your God and uh, bring sacrifices to him, but you must come back. And then when he, when he relents, as soon as the plague is over, Pharaoh's heart hardens and he, he, t- he goes back on his word. So he's deceitful. He wants Moses to stop the plagues. And when the plagues stop, Pharaoh is not going to let the people go. until we get to the final plague which is by far the you know the worst one it's also the saddest and hardest to read um this is where we get passover so uh jewish people still celebrate this today pass the passover meal god commands his people to kill a lamb to sacrifice a lamb uh and he and he gives all these uh, rules on how to eat it. You're supposed to eat its head and all of its entrails. You can only burn it. You can't boil it. Um, it's got to be cooked with bitter herbs. And uh, they take, they're supposed to take the blood and put it over the, the, their doors to their house. And they must believe that if they have that lamb's blood over their house, that the angel of the Lord, the angel of death, will pass over them and they will be saved. And so, if you know anything about the gospel, Jesus is called the Lamb of God, um, and his blood covers us, and his blood saves us. And so, this Passover meal, this story out of Exodus, is foreshadowing exactly God's plan of salvation and redemption for all of us through Jesus Christ, the ultimate Lamb of God, the eternal sacrifice that covers all of us for eternity and and will save us from eternal death. And and that's why the story of Moses is so amazing because we can see we can see why we need Jesus. We have to be we're in slavery. We're all in bondage, not to not to a nation state, not to some horrible evil pharaoh or king or president. We are enslaved to our sin and death. And that's the problem with the world, right? Like if you if you weren't a Christian, what's the problem with the world? Yeah, we have world hunger, we have disease, we have war. But 
beneath all of that, the underlying common denominator is death. If there was no death, those things wouldn't exist. You wouldn't starve. You, wouldn't be, you couldn't be killed through war. None of those things would matter because they wouldn't exist. So the problem with the world is death. And if you aren't a Christian, you have to do a lot of uh, intellectual exercises to explain and solve the problem of death. What's, where's the hope if you're not a Christian? Where's, where's the hope if, you know, where is it? What do I have to look forward to if I'm just going to become food for the worms in the dirt? What, what is the point of this life if there is not hope for something after? Well, the, what, Moses, what the story of Moses tells us is that there is hope. We are enslaved to our sin, and we need salvation. We need to be freed from that by the blood of a sacrifice. And so Passover is foreshadowing the Last Supper, when Jesus Christ, he breaks his own body and says, not, you know, he's not, he's not having an animal sacrifice. He's not going to have the blood of an animal. He says that this wine is my blood. And whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me that I, you know, I have saved you. This is the, that is the new covenant. Moses, the story of Passover, they, all the Israelites and even the Egyptians could do this. If they believed in the, in the God of the Hebrews and they put lamb's blood on their door and they believed that they'd be saved, they were saved. They were spared. But those who didn't, that night, the angel of the Lord went into every house in all the land and every firstborn was killed, including Pharaoh's firstborn son. And that seems to a lot of people uh, harsh. It seems unforgiving. But here's the thing. Pharaoh had nine chances to let God's people go before this happened, and he didn't. And he didn't just refuse. He actually lied and deceived Moses. And, bef- and even before that, Pharaoh killed all of the, all of the male children born of Israelite descent. And they've been in slavery, we see this, for 430 years. How many people have been killed in that time? Killing the firstborn of Pharaoh was a way to show the Egyptians that their gods, lowercase g, were not powerful. They weren't real. They, didn't, they, they did not match up to the God of, of Israel. That he struck the house. Pharaoh himself was considered a god, and his firstborn son was just killed. Horus and Osiris, they didn't protect uh, the firstborns throughout the land, okay? We know they're not real, but to the Egyptians, they had to be shown why this god of, of the Hebrews, of Israel, is so powerful, and he is the god of gods. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. And then you see... Pharaoh's will is finally broken, and he calls Moses in, and he says, leave. Leave now. I want your people gone. And in fact, God tells the Israelites to ask every Egyptian on their way out of the city to be clothed in silver and gold. So it's not just that they're released and driven out. They're actually paid to leave because the Egyptians realize God is, this God is real, and his hand is against us. 
and we want these people gone. They have brought horrible judgment upon us, and God has brought his wrath down upon us for enslaving his people. This is kind of where I'm going to end the first part. Moses is leading his people out of Israel at this point. Pharaoh, um, he, he knew God. He had evidence of God through all these signs and wonders. He even believed that this God was real. He simply did not believe he was the God of all gods and that he was the one true God and that he should be the God of his life until his will was broken. And for many of us, we have to have our wills broken before we can even surrender to God and invite him into our life. And so we aren't too different from Pharaoh. We aren't different from Moses, and we aren't too different from Pharaoh. But Moses is leading God's people out of captivity and slavery at this point. And I'll end with this. It says there were 600,000 men. Uh, that's not including women and children. So we can safely guess there was at least uh, you know, a million and a half people just leaving Egypt, which is an insane amount of people for back then, if you think about it. And Moses is leading them all, uh, and and God brings a pillar of cloud at, in the daytime to lead them, and a pillar of fire at night to lead them where He wants them to go. So that's kind of the first half of the story of Moses. Again, I can't do it all justice. Uh, the key points are are this: the Passover meal points to the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God and Jesus Christ and His blood saving us uh, from eternal death, and that Moses, despite his weaknesses and his flaws, God uses those and they become his strengths. Uh, And so this story is so amazing and will continue in the next half, which is still just as epic, and there's still many great points to be made and, and talked about in the next episode so if you have questions uh or you have something to add to this conversation to the story of moses i would love to hear that on facebook comment below um or just you can reply in a message email whatever you're comfortable with let me know what you think as always guys i will see you next time 